0: All right. Welcome to another episode of She Existed, the podcast wherein I, Ashlyn Romagnoli, share the story of a woman from history who is previously unknown to me, but whom I find super badass. This is actually the second recording of this episode because it turns out the microphone was off the entire time I was recording yesterday and I did not notice. But uh, here we are and I'm doing it again. So that's a good sign. Tenacity and consistency are key. One plus side, though, of re-recording this is that maybe my pronunciations will be better this time. Uh, Eastern European words are a little tricky for me, so uh, I did my best, did my research, but yeah, apologies in advance to anyone who actually speaks Czech or any of the other lovely Eastern European languages that would serve you in good stead were you trying to retell a tale such as this one. Today we're talking about Libusha who is the legendary ancestor of the Czech people. She lived in approximately 800 CE. All right, so before her, there's this guy, Duke Krok, which I think would make an excellent DJ name if anyone is in the market. Uh, but sometime in the 10 hundreds, is that what we call them? Can I call that that? Anyway, about 200 years uh, after the events that I'm gonna relate to you, Cosmas of Prague wrote a history of the Czech people. And he wrote about Duke Krok that he was, quote, a man known for his age, absolutely perfect, rich and worldly in his judgments, and sophisticated. This wonderful man had no male heirs, but rather three daughters, whom nature had granted the treasures of wisdom." So one quick side note I want to make. Uh, I know I make a lot of side notes, but that is what happens when you're talking about really cool stuff like we talk about. Anyway, uh, I found it interesting that he's said to have three daughters specifically, uh, even though two of them don't really have much of an effect on the story moving forward. But three is a really important number historically, especially in religion and mysticism. It just could, seems to come up quite a lot. Um, a lot of ancient traditions include references to triple or triune goddesses, such as the maiden mother and crone aspects of various individual goddesses. The fates and the graces of ancient Greece were both threes. Uh, the Tridevi devi in Hinduism, etc., Now, I want to stress that I didn't come across anything in my research that indicates any connection between these three daughters we're talking about and any specific deities, but I just found it a kind of interesting coincidence, so I figured I'd share that thought, because I'm sure the concept of a triple goddess is going to come up um, in future episodes, so we're thinking about as we move through this story. So, Croc's daughters were Kazi, who is gifted with healing. Theta, who is a magician or possibly a religious guide, and the most difficult to pronounce, so of course the one we're going to be talking about the most, Libyusha. Libyusha's gift was to see the future and supposedly what was hidden from other people's ken, which I pretty much think just means like aggressive amounts of common sense. And I think uh, pretty reasonably that's why she was the one that Duke Croc, or in some versions a council of elders after his death, anyway, she was picked as his successor. One thing to point out here that I love is that A, it didn't really seem to matter that she was a chick. Uh, It doesn't sound like they entertained any other options for leadership, so that's cool. And B, didn't seem to matter that she was the youngest, and of course the most beautiful because uh, that's the fate of the youngest. (laughs) Ha! Uh, I'm the youngest in my family, in case you couldn't tell. Sorry, Nina. (laughs) So according to pretty much everything I read, she did a wonderful job as leader despite being a woman. But unfortunately, this egalitarian spirit was not long for this world. According to the really excellent book, Prague in Black and Gold by Peter Demitz, one day, two neighbors asked her to judge their boundary dispute. And when Libouche decided in favor of the younger man, the older one freaked the fuck out, apparently blaming all women for her decision and screaming, long hair, short minds, which is ridiculous. Now, personally... I feel like they should have just old yellered the old guy and had done with it, but I guess him calling out the fact that they were all being ruled by a woman was sort of the elephant in the room for the council. Like, even though until this point everything had been gravy, everyone was happy, she was doing a great job, uh, they just couldn't unsee it after he said it, and like, that really bothered them. Now, Libuša told them that the judgment of a woman is the judgment of compassion, which can often be mistaken for weakness, and it seems like that's what they were doing, but she did agree to sit for a night of prayer and think it over. In a much later but very, very famous version of the legend by 19th century Czech writer Alois Juršek, she sat in council with her sisters that night and was quite a bit snippier about being underappreciated, which I kind of enjoyed reading about come the next morning she basically told them that she would accept their decision and let them choose a male leader but being a gracious soon-to-be former leader she did offer her advice to them and obviously they were like yes please you're really fair and a great lady and have done a great job we just really care that you're a lady so uh libusha told them all to set her horse out to walk and the man that it found was the man who was supposed to be their ruler and her husband so they did so and the horse which was described as being this big, beautiful, white, magical horse, uh, led them to a plowman named Premsil. Now, this manner of choosing a husband may sound like a risky maneuver to you and to me, but remember that Libusha had the power of prophecy, so she probably knew what was up. And in some stories, she had actually already fallen in love with Premsil previously, so it's possible that this was actually just kind of a perfect scheme to get the council to agree to let her marry a commoner. As we all know, the greatest excuse of all time is, a vision told me to do it. Now, she did have several other famous visions in the course of her life, which included the foretelling of the founding of Prague, upon the site of which she said she saw a city that would touch the heavens. But I'm going to move on to what I found to be a way more interesting piece of this story that I'm really excited to share. Okay, so everyone gets salty that they're being ruled by a woman, even though she was doing a great job. Horse goes out, finds Premsel. Premsel and Lyubis get married. And then apparently what happens after that is that Premsel begins to rule in what they call his own male way. Which, given that Libuchet had warned them that this would include tribute and service rather than the aforementioned compassion that she brought to the table, I hope made them all think a little bit more about their choices. Anyway, so after Libuchet and Premsel get married and Premsel kind of takes the lead, there was a ton of tension between men and women who were less than happy to suddenly find themselves subject to male rule. This ultimately led to the Maidens' War, which was led by Libyš's favorite handmaiden, Vlasta. I'm glad we have her name, although I'm not certain of the source of her name, because I did finally manage to track down an English version of Cosmas of Prague's Chronicle of the Czechs, and Vlasta was not called out by name in there. However, Cosmas does provide us with a positively delightful account of the Maidens' War, which I will read for you here, because it's better than any summary I could make up. Primary sources are just the best, y'all. So this source, as I mentioned earlier, um, is from just about 200 years after the alleged events in 800 CE. So this really wasn't all that long ago, all things considered. So here we go. At that time, the maidens of that land, growing up without a yoke, pursuing military arms like Amazons and making leaders for themselves, fought together like young soldiers and trod manfully through the forests on hunts. Men did not take them. But they took men for themselves, whichever ones they wanted and whenever they wanted." Just like the Scythian people, the Plauci or the Pechenegs, and a uh, quick side note for everyone, the Scythians will definitely be coming up in the future due to their connection to the Amazon, so just remember this. Anyway, man and woman also had no distinction in their dress. Once their feminine audacity grew so great that on a certain cliff not far from the aforementioned burg Prague, they built themselves a fortress fortified by the nature of its location it was given the name Devine. Seeing this, young men, many of them coming together at once, angry with the women and very jealous, built a berg among the bushes on another cliff, no farther than a trumpet call. Because the maidens were often more clever at duping the young men, and because the young men were often stronger than the maidens, there was sometimes war between them and sometimes peace. At a time when they possessed peace between them, it pleased both parties to come together with food and drink as a token of that peace. For three days they engaged in festive sport, without arms, in an agreed-upon place. What more? In no other way could the young men have fun with the girls. And so, like rapacious wolves seeking food, they entered the sheepfold. They spent the first day merry, with sumptuous food and too much drink. While they wanted to quench their thirst, another thirst sprang up and the young men could hardly defer their happiness to the hour of night. It was night, and the moon was shining in a cloudless sky. Then, blowing a horn, one of the men gave the signal to the others, saying, You have played enough! You have eaten and drunk enough! Arise! Golden Venus calls you with the horse rattle! Immediately, each of the men carried off a girl. Come morning, and having entered into an agreement of peace, supported by Ceres and Bacchus, the girls yielded the empty walls of their fortress to Vulcan of Lemnos. Since that time, after the death of Prince Libuše, the women of our people are under the power of men. Woo. Okay, so quick note that the term prince was used in the translation because apparently the word that was used in the original was masculine with no feminine equivalent. Uh, so I guess they didn't expect any female leaders after Libuše. Anyway, it's a fascinating and colorful tale, though definitely a bummer of one as well, at least if you care that everyone was just having a fun party and suddenly half of the participants got abducted. Though Demetz's version is even worse. He says that, quote, In the forests and valleys, much blood was shed mercilessly. Hundreds of men died in the field. Many were killed in bed. And young Stiret, strong and handsome and particularly hated or perhaps loved by Vlasta, was lured into an ambush by the attractive Sharka, then tortured and put to death. The warriors wanted revenge, and Vlasta, fighting stubbornly, was killed. A counterattack of the Maidens failed. All were slaughtered, and the castle of the Maidens was razed." So the valley I just described where this ambush took place is actually to this day named after Sharka. Pretty cool. So I was hoping to end this podcast with a sharing of a couple of poems I had stumbled across about the Maidens' War, Um, There are two versions. One is rejoicing the outcome, which is apparently recited by men, and one is a super sad one recited by the women who are still holding a grudge about the outcome of the Baden's War. But uh, I made the mistake of closing the tab that I was looking at them in, and I simply cannot find it anywhere. I was looking forever, can't find it. So you'll just have to use your imagination. But... Hopefully, I can leave you with the lesson that I was hoping to impart by that, which is that gender division and hierarchy help no one people. No one won here. So that's what I've got for you on Libusia and the Maidens' War. Um, here are a few search terms that might take you down an interesting path. Okay, so just to note that some of these names have a lot of accents that I literally do not know the name of, but just searching them as I spell them should get you where you want to go. So Libushe, uh, L-I-B-U-S-H-E, or L-I-B-U-S with kind of an inverted V on top of it, like a little hat, E, Vlasta, V-L-A-S-T-A, Sharka, which is spelled S-A-R-K-A, The Maidens' War, Cosmos of Prague, C-O-S-M-A-S, and then Triune Goddess, because like I said, that one's going to come up time and time again, I'm sure. It's T-R-I-U-N-E. Thanks for tuning in. See you again soon.